Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's on my mind. <laughs> Tyler, <laughs> Halloween is just around the corner. It sure is. It's just, it is, uh, what is today? It's the 11th. It's the 11th. Mathematically, 20 days. 20 days. 20 days to Just around the corner. Uh, d- to go to hell? What? <laughs> what did you say? To go till Halloween. <laughs> 20 days to go to hell. <laughs> That's a tagline. Um, for something. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this. Okay. Oh, man, you got something to say. I, I don't think I've ever spent an All Hallows' Eve with you. Have we? Uh, no, uh, I don't think so. Do you dress up? Uh, no. I didn't think so. Is is Jenny, your wife, someone yes, who... Yes, she is. <laughs> is your wife Jenny... <laughs> yeah, same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> is Jenny someone who dresses up for Halloween? No. However, okay. Uh, when uh, back in uh, Chicago, we went to a uh, a costume party, and you were required to dress up, and uh, I hate that. I hate it so much because, like, I want to hang out with my friends. All right, I, I don't like this requirement, but um, but it's like okay, well, we got to do this, so let's just do it. So um, we went. So we bought two different costumes, so they would go together. One was a cop, and that was her. And then one was like a like a a, j- a jailbird, which basically was just like an orange like an orange jumpsuit with like a a number on the back and a you know federal penitentiary thing. But it said it's it's it was called got busted penitentiary because I got busted <laughs> by the cops. And then we bought handcuffs, so like for pictures and stuff, we would she would handcuff herself to me, and she's the she's the cop and I'm the crook. And uh, she looked. Re- I'll admit. We still have those costumes. She looks really freaking sexy in that cop outfit because it's, right. it's for the ladies, and uh, and uh-huh. it wasn't for like strippers, but it's still like, you know, a little scant. And uh, but yeah, so that's the one time we dressed up, and uh, she was, and we still have them, and so that's what we have now in case we ever have to dress up. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I don't really care for dressing up. Yeah, but I always seem to find myself in situations where I must. Okay. Uh, and I, so I have no idea what I'm doing this year. Okay. And I used to have, for one brief shining moment, I had an awesome monk's robe, All which, right. A, was awesome, and yeah. B, incredibly comfortable. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then um, uh, my ex-girlfriend's cat peed on it, and oh. I was convinced that it could be cleaned. Yeah. She said, no, we have to throw this $60 monk costume that you've worn twice in your life away. To throw it down the garbage chute. It, it was. Uh, it's. It's tough to talk about even now. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing this year. But is this why? Is that why you broke up with her? <laughs> There's some revisionism going on here, and I'm making you look better than you w- than you did. Um, I don't think that's true. I don't think I would look good if I <laughs> broke up with someone true. because she threw away my Halloween. Well, it, it makes you look less like a loser. Um, uh, again, I'm still not sure. Um, yeah, actually, the idea of just like you threw away my monk outfit. You, oh, um, so uh, maybe, maybe this year. Well, you could buy another monk outfit, David. I could just put on a suit and go as Tony Shalhoub from Monk. That will be fu- here's the thing. That will be funny to you <laughs> because then you'll be like, "Here's the way this is funny because <laughs> I was a monk." Before this, and now I am monk. That's why that's funny. And th- but that person's walked away by then, right? So, uh, 
I don't know. Uh, do you enjoy? I, I enjoy Halloween. I enjoy uh, giving out candy. Like trick or treaters coming by, and yeah. it's like, oh, hey, what are you supposed? Like just being that person. Like, Here's the Snickers and stuff like that. It's good stuff. I enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's fun. That's fun. But um, uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait until I'm uh, acceptably too old to party on Halloween mm. because it's. We've talked about this before. Yeah. That uh, I think we talked about it in regards to like New Year's and fucking St. Patrick's Day in yeah. Chicago. And uh, I, I think I brought up something that uh, Bill Murray once said on the, I think he was on the David Letterman show. Yeah. When he's like, he's like, listen, I'm out there every night yeah. of every week yeah. drinking. Yeah. These, these holidays, it's amateur hour. Yeah. About the 365. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's that, no, that, that's, no that's how I feel. It's uh, people who uh, people who are driving drunk who are not at all accustomed to driving drunk. <laughs> right. <laughs> and bars are just clogged with uh, dumb people who can't hold their alcohol and clog uh-huh. up the bar and not, are not at bars often enough to know how to get things fucking moving and get out of the fucking way. And the bar's just crammed. It's it's like when you're at a bar and there's a large birthday party that night. Hey, I went to your birthday party at a bar recently. Yeah, but uh, A, they had cocktail waitresses, which always helps things. Yeah. And B, I don't have that many friends. <laughs> but you were there. Yeah. It was uh, it was still uh you know, still very crowded and I'm not a I'm not the bar I'm not a bar type uh, a bar fly, if you will. Yeah. Uh, I uh, it was very very crowded, very claustrophobic. Would you wrestle a bar? Well, I can I can grin down a bar. There's no question about that. As it happens, I was talking about the lyrics to the Davy Crockett song right. last night, so uh, you weren't counting on that. No, um, no, but that was great. Um, so yeah, that's why I kind of dread Halloween, but because there's the obligation to do this, and it's just like, well, I was going to do this anyway. Halloween falls on a Saturday night uh, uh, this only year. Gonna make, only going to make it worse. It will make it worse, yes. There's no question about that. I will probably, uh, I don't know, watch some... Jen's going to be shooting a wedding that night. My hope is that uh, they'll be like, you know, because when you say, oh, we want it to be on October 31st, well, you know what day that is. So my guess is they wanted it to be on Halloween. So my hope is that they, like, dress up, and uh, that'll make for some interesting photos, I think. Like, if it... Oh, can you imagine how awesome it would be if it was... If they dressed up as as Frankenstein's monster and Bride of Frankenstein and got married, that would be great. That'd be great. Now, that'd be great. I don't want to jinx them here. All right, but you do remember the crow? They were supposed to get married on Halloween. Oh no! And then the night before, you know, David Patrick Kelly and right. those other people. Yeah, is that his name, David Patrick Kelly? I think so. Yes, it's three names. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the, all those people came in and they huh. they killed them both. And then Did they kill the photographer? No, no, because right. it didn't get to the day. Okay. Uh. <clears throat> so Jen could conceivably keep the deposit. No one's going to demand it back because they're both dead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is a win-win for you then. It, it really is, because then Jen, you know, I can hang out with her on Halloween. And uh, all right, thanks for looking up. <laughs> um, all right, so now that we finally brought the topic back to movies, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get into it, shall we? All right, absolutely. Yeah, now, okay, so. The Crow. The, <laughs> the Crow uh, deals with uh, resurrection and with uh, 
uh, sort of uh, cosmic justice. Okay, right? Yeah. These these are these are topics that touch on 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 religion and spirituality. They sure are. Okay. Now, do you think that uh, a, a religious person or or a or a, a vehemently non-religious person right. would have cause to dislike the crow because of those spiritual elements? <laughs> like, do you think there's some hardcore atheist who's going, "Well, this is fucking bullshit. When you're dead, you're dead." Um. I, you know, I have to imagine there probably just, is some, just is, li- just like David Patrick Kelly says, if that's his name. Yeah, you know, this is the really real world. There ain't no coming <laughs> back. We killed you. He doesn't get enough work. I like <laughs> yeah, him in great. Twin Peaks. I liked him in Flirting with Disaster. Um, yeah, conceivably, uh, there are, there is an atheist out there who just uh, <laughs> there's an atheist out there who goes to see. Passion of the Christ, and just goes, yeah, right. <laughs> like just the guy who just cannot get on board with the concept of uh, something else. Yeah. And uh, but uh, what is it? Oh, uh, I believe in a, in a uh, Paul Rust in a Paul Rust video where he plays a guy who friend of the show, friend of the show, Paul Rust. Yeah, who uh, he plays a guy who cannot believe who watches the special features for Indiana Jones and refuses to believe the things that are said. And one of the things that he says, I ain't no sucker, so stop trying to sell me lollipops. And, uh, and I just imagine the guy saying that. That's a funny video, everybody. You should look it up. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I have to assume there probably is somebody like that out there. I, I, I certainly know that there are probably a lot of Christians out there that have a problem with, uh, with the crow because, oh, it's just so demonic. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, but those people shouldn't be thinking in those terms or should they, or should they? And that's the topic today. Um, or should they? That's yeah. the name of the topic. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, the, the, I think the, the real topic here is what we're going to talk about is sort of, uh, what you bring to a film. Right. Subjectivity it, is subjectivity. I, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I, I like mine a little better. It's all a little, right. A little catchier. Fair enough. Uh, well, and, it's catchier, uh, yeah, but subjectivity is what we're talking about. <laughs> so, um, um, <laughs> so uh, I mean, I'm, my allergies are killing me today. So I'm sorry if I cough into the mic or if I sound like uh, stuffed up. Uh, stuffed up. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure it sounds adorable when I'm stuffed up. I don't know that for sure because I can't really hear myself. I have to record myself. I'm pretty sure it sounds adorable. When I listen back to it, it makes me want to spit or like blow my nose uh everything except adorable is how it sounds to me uh, don't do that not to me. make you not to make you feel bad well listen uh don't worry everybody i'll do all the talking this, <laughs> this episode, like every other episode listen if you find it adorable you can tweet me at the pretension and let me know just how adorable i am <laughs> or you can discuss it on the forum um you know let's get everybody involved in this um yeah so the the reason that we are talking about this, I was, uh, I was on a forum and uh, for another podcast. I won't say what because I don't really stand by a lot of the things that they do. But um, one of the things discussed on this podcast, uh, or rather on this uh, forum, was uh, what, what do you, as a, as a podcast listener, what do you look for in a podcast? And uh, and says, you know, what uh, what are you willing to live with? You know, like if the audio quality is not the best, uh, but you really like the hosts, stuff like that. Uh, and then one of the things one of the things that was that was asked was, um, uh, what ruins a podcast for you? And uh, there's 
there was one guy who wrote something that struck me as interesting in which he uh, he says that he he likes listening to movie podcasts but the th- once something that will ruin he likes movie podcasts with like good hosts who have chemistry um, but what will ruin okay so far we're in uh, there's yeah. really oh yeah oh don't, yeah. don't let this episode throw you uh, <clears throat> we have so much chemistry um, but what will ruin these podcasts for him is any mention of how their religion, and by th- their, he means the hosts, uh-huh. of how their religion affects their ability to review films. I detest religion with a passion, and any mention of it gets my hackles up, which actually is a phrase I kind of like. But, um, <laughs> and so I read that, and my first, my first thought was, well, um, that's dumb. Because if if somebody is, in fact, a Christian, or, you know what, I won't even say Christian. If they have any kind of religious beliefs, let's let's go one better. Any kind of beliefs at all. Uh-huh. Philo- philosophical, whatever. And they come to a movie that will engage those beliefs somehow. Well, first off, I would say it's not really their fault if they instinctively think of it that way. But also, just, they can't turn that off you and i have talked you can't the, turn anything off yeah we're not we're, we're, religion here is the sort of springboard i'm gonna sneeze in a second so i'm sorry okay um <clears throat> religion is the springboard here we're talking about in general what you bring to a movie right it's another great example like there are some people who are very dedicated to sort of animal rights and right. being humane to animals yeah um if that's such a if that's a huge part of their personality, it could ruin a movie like Stagecoach for them. Oh yeah, it's awesome as Stagecoach is. Yeah, and it is so awesome. Yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, the the way the ho- if you go in knowing the way the horses were treated, mm-hmm. or I mean, you don't even have to know; you can kind of tell. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. What you know that they're like breaking horses' legs and all this awful stuff. Uh, that might ruin the movie for you, as great as that movie is. Um. And you know, and you know what? That's kind of okay. Yeah, it's it's okay with me. Well, and just you and I have talked in the past that there should be a certain degree of of objectivity. You you should you should strive for a certain objectivity. There should be as much as possible. Yeah, but you, but you can't. First off, you can never be truly objective because because of what you bring, and more specifically, the fact that you will always bring something. I mean, no person is a total blank slate. No adult is a blank slate. Yeah, and <clears throat> the the flip side of this is that, yeah, what you bring to the movie is going to make you dislike some movies, right. but it's in, it, I would say in even more cases, it's going to enhance, enrich yeah. a movie-going experience. Absolutely, and that's kind of what, what I'm going to talk about today is... Um, that well, actually, before I get to that, I did want to bring up there. There's no better example of this than uh, oh, there goes David. Um, I imagine you probably heard that. I hope so. Um, to me, like the best, the best possible example of this is in Ratatouille, when uh, the critic Anton Ego, who is you know he's kind of harsh, and he has and he's older, so he's got a lot of experience. Uh, criticizing food, but when it, but at the end when he eats the ratatouille, something interesting happens. It cuts to him as a child, uh-huh. in wi- and his and it cuts to him. He has scraped his knee and he's crying, and his mom to make him feel better 
cooks his favorite dish which or something, ratatouille, uh-huh. and it's so delicious. And so we see that briefly, and then it, and then it quickly cuts to present, you know, present day, and you see the look on his face is very similar to the look on his face when he was a child. And it's like, what I like about that is that it acknowledges the fact that even though this guy is trained, he's older, he's got a lot of experience. When it comes right down to it, the reason that this dish made him was so uh, revelatory to him was something that was completely subjective and personal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, that's the thing is is a person's, their own philosophies and beliefs and their own experiences will help, as you say, enrich the appreciation of a film. And, yeah, it might make them biased towards a film that could possibly not be very good. But if you are striving to love, you know, great film and know about great film, then I think you will blend your objectivity with what you personally bring to a film and it will really help you to appreciate a film in a, in a much fuller way. Um, and so for now, Dave and I are going to, I think approach these, uh, this topic in, in a couple of different ways. Um, mine is going to be, uh, a, a great deal more personal. I'm I'm going to actually be talking about uh, specific instances in my life that and and certain philosophies that I hold that actually help helped me to understand and appreciate a film in a deeper way. And I might be doing some of the same right. if those things occur to me, but that's right. not what I wasn't part of my preparatory process. Right. My preparatory process for this episode was that sounds like a good idea for an episode. I'll talk about that for an hour. <laughs> Yeah, I was hoping you'd bring more to it. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, but what I will say in response to this guy's comments, I'm going to start with my uh, with my uh, Christianity, because why not? I guess just to piss the guy off. I do have an entire other podcast about this. But what I will say is, um, you know, if you are a Christian and you go see, but well, let me also let me okay. interrupt you. Oh, because, by all means, because this guy does he bothers uh, you. It, what he said does bother me. Okay, He's, go ahead. And then, you know what? He could be a good guy. I've known. I I know a lot of. Uh, there are a lot of people that I'm friends with who, uh, frankly, might say something like that. Okay. Because I'm friends with a lot of, uh, you know, I don't know, West Coast liberal atheists. Jerks. You Jerks could say. mostly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, let me tell you, okay. I am as uh, just as as snotty an atheist as you'll ever find. And mm, I I disagree, but that's <laughs> I, I disagree too. But okay. um, I'm just I'm just <laughs> at the moment that. you're very snotty because uh, of your uh, allergies. That's, uh, that's gross. I don't Sorry, know. everybody. I don't, I don't care for that kind of humor. Um, <laughs> but okay, I've known Tyler for ten years, and never once have I found his religion to get in the way or to halt a discussion we've had about a movie, mm-hmm. even when it informs the discussion. Yeah. It, it's it's still you're still thinking about these movies with your brain first, mm-hmm. and then whatever else you bring to it just sort of like maybe <clears throat> I don't know buttresses it if nice. that's you know nice. and uh, and I think as long as you do that you're fine. In fact, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah, and you know, and much in the same way, like if da- like as David mentioned, he is an atheist. I'm a Christian. And when we talk about Passion of the Christ, 
or Last Temptation of Christ, or a, a really great film called The Rapture, um, featuring yeah. Will Patton. Um, <laughs> if we talk about these movies that are that are overtly religious, or the movie uh, Hell House, or, or really you know The Apostle, just any any number of of these films that are about specifically in this instance Christianity, which is what which is what I am, but um, his his opinion is very valuable to me because. I realize, like, oh, well, I'm very, not necessarily biased, but I bring a very definite kind of, uh, a very definite point of view to this film. And somebody who does not believe these things also brings a point of view. No, no point of view should be discounted. Uh, it should be, to a certain degree, embraced because it might actually help you realize something that you perhaps didn't see. Um you know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Passion of the Christ, um, but yeah, not I'm not a huge fan at all. Really, uh, it's it, visually it looks really good, and I think the mm-hmm. acting is really great. Um, but and, and as strange as it sounds, I really I can appreciate his freaking Mel Gibson's balls to the wall level of commitment with that film that he appears to apply to every film he makes. Um, but, uh, but the one thing that I, that I didn't think of, honestly, did you hear, hold on. Okay. I'm trying to remember where I heard this, a joke that Mel Gibson made on set. Okay. Where I think there was some sort of risk of, uh, of Jim Caviezel's like, uh, arms being pulled out of their sockets when he was up there. And Mel Gibson's joke was, uh, pop goes Caviezel. He's all right. He's that a madman. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Um, did he take the proper measures to make sure that didn't happen, I, or did I, he I, just I, make I the know. joke and be like, "All right, let's keep going. <laughs> I don't know. Let's keep rolling." <laughs> um, but the uh, <laughs> so anyway, but but one thing that I wasn't thinking of was um, the the idea of like anti-Semitism, like because and that's and it's because I am so close to the events of the of a passion play or, or a passion film where I know that it was like, well, I believe these things happened and I'm not anti Semitic. I, I realize that uh like specifically like, well the Romans are the ones that did this and the Jews and everybody else are responsible for why this needed to happen. It just like I, right. I, I see it that way and thus I, it just didn't occur to me any kind of anti-Semitism because I'm so close to the material and like, well, I don't think that, so it must not be there. It, uh-huh. and, it, it, and it wasn't even a conscious thought like that where it occurred to me. But then, you know, you mentioned, because you're a little bit more removed from the material, um, you mentioned that, like, it's clearly there. Uh, if, you know, like, if you're looking for it, in some cases, if you're not... Um, yeah, there's one sp- sort of "quote unquote" good Jew in yeah. the movie, yeah, and uh, that almost makes it even worse that yeah. he's seen as that it's noteworthy that he's not some right. sort of bloodthirsty animal. Right, he's he's viewed as kind of the uh, I mentioned this only because I'm uh, wa- watching The Wire again. Uh, he's kind of the D'Angelo Barksdale of the Barksdale <laughs> crew. He's more sensitive and stuff. He doesn't enjoy killing, um, right. but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, and so that's the thing is it really 
I feel like it really benefited me to hear somebody else's point of view. And I wouldn't have had that point of view if, if you hadn't brought your own experience and your own philosophies to the appreciation of the film, mm-hmm. you know, and much in the same way, but it can also help one criticize in a negative way, a film, I guess, I guess talking about anti-Semitism is criticizing in a negative way, but like the movie saved, for example, uh-huh. um, it's an okay film. I think it's, it's, it's fine. Just, you know, it, it made me laugh in a couple ways and, uh, and it, you know, has some nice characters and stuff. But as representations of Christianity, I noticed there were actually, there are two different types. There's like ultra legalistic or so, so kind of relativistic that ultimately one could make the argument that they aren't actually Christians. Uh And it's like, and so, and it's seen as if those are the only two options. Well, me and pretty much everybody I know is in the middle. Yeah. And those people are not represented because those are it's easier to show the two extremes. And Yeah. And well, isn't there actually like a lot of exchange in the movie between uh Martin who is it? Martin Donovan? Martin Donovan and Patrick Fugit, I think. Right. And then something like uh like nothing's absolute. Everything's absolute. S- slow down. <laughs> no, no, you're both right and both wrong. Yeah. Um yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's and frankly Well, nothing's absolute. What was that? Oh, well. Um but the uh so the I would say I would say premeditated murder might be absolutely wrong all the time. Please note I said premeditated. But um but we can talk about that uh, perhaps yeah. off air. Um so I mean, what if you know that this person is premeditating a uh, half dozen murders and your premeditated murder is designed to stop those murders. Well, you could call the cops. Uh, what are they going to do? Okay. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, I've seen Death Wish. I, I know what the cops are all about. Um, it's all red tape, man. So, uh, but the thing is, like, so a movie like Saved, honestly, because of my own experiences and the Christians that I know, the film seemed very false to me because, like, well, the vast majority of the Christians I know are not represented here. Uh-huh. And so this film that purports to be about this really isn't. It's about what somebody who's probably not involved thinks this might be. And so then it comes off as phony to me. Uh-huh. Um, and then another, I will bring up religious real quick. Um, subjectivity can actually, like something that starts as a subjective opinion, I think can lead to, an object, to a more objective viewing of the film. Um, I I went back and forth with I'll go ahead and say Jimmy Dore uh, about the film Religious and um, uh-huh. and we disagree on friend it. of the show Jimmy Dore. friend of the show Jimmy Dore um, and he's a very outspoken atheist uh, on his own show comedy and everything else and um, and so and so he really liked the film I really didn't but and perhaps just maybe because he he floated this idea and I think it might kind of be true that perhaps the reason that I don't like the movie is because I'm I don't agree with its central premise and it's uh, and I thought well perhaps that's how it started it's like well I don't agree with what he is saying and thus I will now and it, it almost freed me up to see the flaws in the filmmaking 
Yeah. You know? <clears throat> you know what's my uh, documentary example of that is bowling, that? bowling for Columbine. Oh, my. Now, I know that I'm generally pretty much a liberal. And right. I'm sure people think of me as a liberal. But uh, I'm I'm kind of pro-gun. Sorry about that. I'm a, I, I feel like I feel like we're going to lose more listeners by me saying I'm pro guns than by you saying you're a Christian. Yeah. But um, uh, just so that's yeah, that's just the, the thesis of the film. I can't agree with. Right. And then I'm more freed up to see his stupid bullshit tricks that he pulls. Right. Which has since uh, informed my opinion of his films since then. I said since twi- twice in the sense. Right. Um. Uh, well, it was redundant. I didn't need it. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, as much as I like, I like Fahrenheit 9-11. I like Sicko more than Bullet for Columbine. Yeah. Uh, and I've, a lot of that is because I think he's closer to being right in those movies. Mm-hmm. But I am more aware of his tricks than I was yeah. in, say, Roger and Me in the big one. Yeah. I mean, just that because of your own views, when he says something that you disagree with, it's like, okay, well, I don't agree with this. So now what does the film have for me? Uh-huh. Oh, it doesn't care that I disagree. Right. This is not for me. This is for only people who agree. And and that's the thing is, as I was talking with friend of the show, Jason Eakin, last night about this, that that any time, regardless of your beliefs, it can be Christian, atheist, Republican, Democrat. It doesn't matter. Any beliefs uh, that you hold, if a film is catering to those beliefs, I really feel like you will be less inclined to look into them, look into the 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 quality of the film or the claims that the film is making because, well, I know this to be true. The film is saying this is true. So why would I want to look into it? And that goes with, for anybody, it's the same reason. It's honestly the same argument that I have about why Christian film is so bad is because a lot of Christian audiences, they agree with the central idea of what this film is saying. And so, how could that be? How can it be bad if I agree with it? Well, uh-huh. it can be bad by being a, by being a terrible film, but um, and so I think that's so that's where you should try and seek a certain degree of objectivity, but sometimes your subjectivity and disagreeing with a premise can allow you to be more objective than someone who is in agreement with it. Right. Um, but uh, so th- that's kind of that that's that's the first section of what I wanted to talk about as far as like my philosophies and how they've actually. Uh, helped me to appreciate a film more right. or or dis, or actually dislike it or see it for what it is, which is a bad film. And what about your, your politics? Uh, um, because, well, I'll, I'll say, by, I guess okay. it's sort of sociopolitical. Um, <clears throat> it's no secret to people who have seen Scream or especially they've seen uh, Behind the Mask. Um, there's a lot of ultra sort of socially conservative stuff going on in slasher Mm -hmm. films. Yeah. You know, it's usually, um, as we learned in scream, if you have sex, you're probably going to get killed. Right. You know, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the hero girl sort of, uh, survivor girl sort of has to be a virgin. Yeah. Very pure. Yeah. And, and, and then even beyond, beyond that, beyond the sexual aspect of it, there's also, well, there's also lots of drinking and stuff and the more, the more of that you engage in, the more likely you are to be killed. But then there's also this sort of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, just gender related, uh, that it's, they're usually films about, uh, a girl who has to become less like, become less feminine and more masculine yeah. in order to, to beat, to, to, to kill the, right. to kill the slasher or whatever. Yeah. And, um, 
I mean, I'm. Pardon me for tuning my, tuning my own horn. I'm kind of a smart guy. Uh, I had kind of figured that out before. I didn't have to see Scream and Behind the Mask to see see those things in those right. movies. And that's a big part of why they've never appealed to me. Hmm. Uh, I, ha- I have to be honest. I mean, sometimes... But you the, like those movies, though. Not really. What, what's, I like Halloween. Well, like... Oh, I'm sorry. Wait. I like Scream, Scream is what I'm talking about. Oh, about, okay. You're like Friday the 13th and... I couldn't care less about Friday the 13th. Right. Uh, or, or any of those. Or, even, or especially the later Halloween films, which are so yeah. bad. Um, uh, and even though, like, I, even when I can see that they're well, well done in, in mood and atmosphere, I respect that, but it's, it's gonna color my, my reception of the film. Right. Uh, not to the same extent that maybe something like, like, uh, like religion would, because, right. uh, these films are, like, ultra socially conservative to the point where you can kind of laugh it off yeah yeah <laughs> but uh it i, I it's, it does color my perception of the film what, what about politics and stuff like that for you well i think um when it's really overt uh i'm i'm usually uh, aware of it um like for example a movie called the contender and i'd say it's it's almost the same as uh, as saved where the Contender, directed by uh, Rod Lurie, and it, it got a couple Oscar nominations for Best Actress and Supporting Actor. And the acting is really, really great throughout, but it's basically about this uh, woman who is uh, possibly going to be the new vice president. And just the confirmation and how there are certain double standards because she is a woman. And so they delve into her sexual past and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, of course, she is a Democrat, and the president is a Democrat, and... And all the Democrats, like, they have certain noble, swept-back features, and they're all very stoic. They're all very Martin Sheen-esque <laughs> in uh, West Wing. Right. Um, and then, of course, the all the Republicans uh, personified by Gary Oldman, but it's not B- Batman Begins Gary Oldman. He, like, they put him in these owlish glasses. They have him, like, balding on top with, like, this gross-looking curly hair. His name is Weak. Uh, it's his name is Shelley, and it's just like, oh man, Shelley is just not a, you know, it's not a strong name. Everything about him is just small and petty, um, and all the other Republicans seem to be small and petty as well. And much in the same way as the Passion of the Christ, where there is the one good Jew, um, <laughs> there is one Republican character played by Christian Slater who. Uh, He's viewed as like the good Republican. Why is he good? Because he's questioning what he, what he believes. And so it's so it's Christian Slater like, was the good Republican on the West Wing too. I mean, there are more than one on the West Wing. All right, but he was right, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, because he was a he was a military guy, I believe. Right. Yeah, and he broke that ashtray. That was a good speech. That, that was made. a good speech. Yeah. And so no um, one knows what we're talking about unless they've seen that. That's a good scene, though. That's a <laughs> that's is. a good subplot as well. Um, and so. So in that, I watched it and I was just like, this is not, my, like I said, with, like, like with Saved, it's like, I, I don't know any, I don't personally know anybody who has Republican ideals who is like this guy Shelley. I recognize that there have been Republicans like him. There's no question about that. And as I've said in the past, uh, it's why I'm no longer a Republican is because the, the people like, the she- like Shelley tend to actually kind of get the most yeah you know press because they seek it out and and uh but just in general it's just like so all the democrats are good all the republicans are bad 
what are you adding to this discussion? You know, yeah. it just, I mean, I understand that I'm fine with the film having an opinion, but like when it has the opinion, uh, just such a black and white approach where it's just like, well now, now you're just telling people who already agree with you what they want to hear. And what's the point? Uh-huh. And so it's just, so that's, that I think is like the most obvious example. But again, that's a really obvious example. I mean, something like, uh, like uh, horror films and and kind of the the issues that they bring up, um, I can't think of any off the top of my head that kind of drudge that up. But just I, I'm trying to think of the just movies with liberal ideals, whatever the the opposite of those horror films are. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, I did see the movie Teeth, which uh, did you? Yeah, oh, I saw it on uh, Netflix. Watch instantly, and uh, pretty terrible. That's what and I hear. How's Josh Pice? Oh, he's fine. He's oh, good as he, he's he's like he always is. He's pretty great. Um, I like him. But you know how I know how it's pronounced, uh, pious. How do you know that? He told me. Awesome. <laughs> because I was a PA on a film that he was on, and he called, or I had to call him. Yeah. For something, and uh, he was, and I was, is this Josh Pace? And he was like, it's pious. I, now I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Uh, but it, it's, it's something more. But it's not. It's not the way it looks. It's not yeah. pace. I like him. Play, did the voice of Raphael? I know, I know. Um, but the uh, and so and Teeth is, you know, it it was about it's like an opposite horror movie where the woman where a woman is the killer uh-huh. and the men and men are the victims. But and so it's just like oh all right it's flipping it around. But here's the thing, and this is listeners uh, know my. Uh, my history of, as David has called it, uh, misogyny, um, <laughs> where just like, don't get me wrong. I hate the idea of like women being victimized and uh, like uh, men in the audience, like getting a, like a thrill out of that. I really think that's pretty terrible. Uh-huh. But um, but in teeth, like the woman is viewed as she's a victim first. First off, like the, the killer. Right. She's a victim first. And then she remains, and as such, she remains sympathetic throughout. And just in case you couldn't tell, every single man is uh, has it coming to him. Like there are no, there there's no version of like the pure man that we're rooting for. Uh, every single man gets what's coming to him, and she gets away scot free. And she's viewed something as something like the Punisher. Like she's going to go out meeting, at, she's going to go around meeting out justice to all these men. <laughs> and by all these men, it would appear all men. And so it's just a, it's just like it was trying to be like the flip yeah. side of that, but it's, it's kind still... of like as much as I like Thumb and Louise, yeah, I do like that movie, yeah. Um, but yeah, they do send tend, a lot of sort of there's a lot of bad men in their lives, yeah. And uh, but they're not all bad, the, which is you know different. Uh, who's good? Michael Madsen's pretty good. Harvey Keitel's all right. Harvey Keitel is all right. I forgot about Michael Madsen. Yeah, but anyway, they're like Christopher a tra- McDonald's a little rough, but yeah, uh, Christopher McDonald. And of course, the guy that she right at the beginning, and uh, and Brad Pitt is kind of you know yeah. uh, whatever. And you could t- you could take it two ways. You could say like, oh, there's a lot of bad men in the world. You could say there's something wrong with these women. They are <laughs> they are attracting the wrong sort. They need to turn their eyes inward and figure out what's wrong with them first. Why they keep attracting these there are terrible going to be sorts. So many, you're gonna get. You're gonna. <laughs> I'm excited that you're actually going to get more angry women emails than I am. <laughs> so thank you for that. But actually what I what struck me about Teeth is that it's like it's trying to be 
the opposite of like a Friday the 13th. But the damnedest thing is it still falls into certain things where the woman is still the victim. Uh-huh. Like until it actually has a straight up uh, motiveless uh, killer who is a woman. Yeah. Much like the first Friday the 13th, although she did have a motive, but it's not right. revealed until I think later in the film. Um, uh, until they do that, then it's not going to be the same. It will still be, you know, women are victims. Um, and this one just happens to be a bit more empowered. Yeah, maybe not a bit. Significantly more empowered. <laughs> um, well, that's why. Now, when did Jennifer's body come out? Uh, when did it come out? Uh, just a few weeks ago. Oh, it's already out? Yeah, it came and went. It, uh, oh. yeah, it came at the, at the end of September. Is that true? It's still in theaters, I think. How come I never read any reviews? I don't know. The reviews are out there. Oh. They were not necessarily favorable. That sucks. Yeah. Because I actually was kind of getting to the point where I thought it could be like a better version of what teeth yeah. sounds like I was, was trying to do. I was intrigued by it because no, it that literally... That disappoints me. How did, I, how did I miss it? I was uh, supposed to... Also, you... Well, well, you know what? You're also not caught up, caught up on uh, Entertainment Weekly is because Diablo Cody talks about what it was like to have written a film that tanked. And... Uh, so it's actually an interesting article. Yeah, I'm way behind. I have this thing to get off topic for a bit. Yeah, because my it goes back to the way I was raised. My parents were like, "Okay, if we were going to go to Six Flags for a day, right. well, that cost quite a bit of money for every ticket. So we were going to go for a day. We right. were going to get there when the park opened. We had a cooler uh, in the in the trunk at lunchtime. We get our ham stamp, go out to the parking lot, eat lunch." Go back in and stay at Six Flags until it closed, right. because it cost enough money that we wanted. My parents just needed to get all the, their money's worth. Right, that's the way I, I still have that today. Yeah. So I subscribe <laughs> to Entertainment Weekly and GQ. Yeah. And I feel <clears throat> the need to read every printed word in both of those publications. You feel the need, the need to read. <laughs> so that's why I I read. Uh, uh, you know. The reviews of whatever Jennifer Weiner's latest book is, even though I will never read one of Jennifer Weiner's books and don't care. Uh, but I, I still read them all because I have to get my money's worth. So, yes, I had a summer that was very busy. I uh, wasn't able to do a lot of reading, so I'm still a couple months behind on Entertainment Weeklies, and I have to I have to catch up. So on your deathbed, you you will say, I didn't read enough Entertainment <laughs> Weekly. Such, uh, it's such a waste of money. I, I, I'm just hoping I'll be caught up by then. Well, let's hope so. Um, all right, so uh, so I'm I'm willing to uh, to move on now uh, and talk about uh, oh the various aspects of my life that uh, that helped me uh, appreciate certain films. Okay, this will be fun. Fun might be r- the wrong word. You know what? Actually, it's funny. Easy that you, there. What? What? Yes. It's funny that you that, that this topic happened because in between the time that you told me about uh, you suggested this topic mm-hmm. and today I rewatched an episode of Buffy. Okay. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. It's, what was it called? It's a shorthand. We, we call it Buffy fans. Yeah. It's just uh, no confusion. I don't want there to be confusion. I'm talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, uh, I don't think anyone can <laughs> hear you. You've gotten so low. <laughs> I'm talking. In season five, there's an episode called The Body. The Body, yes. Um, spoilers for anybody who hasn't uh, seen it yet. Uh, we're talking about it for a few minutes here. Um, the Body is the episode in which Buffy's mother dies. And uh, she doesn't die from a vampire bite yeah. or like a demon evisceration or any of the other <laughs> many ways that people die in Buffy. Yeah. Uh, she essentially has an aneurysm. Yeah. 
it dies. Yeah. Um, now that is my second favorite episode of Buffy mm-hmm. in the entire run, and, and probably from just a filmmaking point of view, the best episode. It's the best made episode. It's the most adult. Yeah. Uh, it's the most uh, moving. Uh, and the first couple times I'd seen it was before my dad died. Yeah. Now, it was still very effective. Right. You know, because it's a really well-made episode. Yeah. Uh, but the the difference in how I perceive that episode or how that episode hits me right. from before my dad died and after is astronomical. Yeah. It's it's huge the, the way you see just – because you can actually – when they're sitting there at the hospital, you know, waiting to get sort of the results of like what happened or just trying to – just figure out all the bullshit that you have to go through at the hospital when someone right. dies. Uh, um, the first time I watched it, it was just like, okay, now they're grieving in a hospital. Yeah. And as opposed to grieving at home, you know, or whatever. After going through that, the feeling in your stomach that you get from being at a hospital for fucking hours, you yeah. know, and having to go through all this stupid stuff when the, this horribly devastating thing has just happened to you and then you would much rather be at home, even though that is where the person died. Right. You would still rather be there because you sh- you feel like you sh- I shouldn't have to be here right now. Right. You know, and and it's 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 a sickening feel in your stomach, and 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 also the you know the not eating thing, which seems like such an easy thing to write. Yeah. You know, to say like, oh well, someone if their parent just died, they probably wouldn't feel like eating. It's right. like, no, you can't eat, or at least I personally. Maybe yeah. I mean, I'm sure people grieve in different ways. Maybe some people eat a lot, but yeah. I, uh, you know, for forty eight hours just couldn't eat. Yeah. You know, and it, it all those little things just like. Uh, just expanded that episode to be so much bigger in my mind and, and, and so much more effective. So that's something that I brought to something. Yeah, and actually I was going to start with, uh, with with grief things, and it's interesting you should mention the, the eating thing because the uh-huh. summer that I went home right after, a few months after my dad died, like uh-huh. people were astonished at how thin I was because <laughs> they're just like, are you okay? And it's like, oh, I just haven't felt like eating, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, much in the same way, uh, I saw the movie, uh, in the bedroom before my dad passed away and, uh, and I loved it then certainly. Um, and just the, the depictions of, I'm um, spoilers, everybody. I accidentally spoiled this for you. I think, uh, when I mentioned that, uh, somebody dies in, in the bedroom spoilers and it came out eight years ago, get, get with the program, <laughs> um, that, uh, these two parents, their son is killed. And there's a section in the film right after he has been killed where it shows the mother sitting and watching Craig Kilborn and the father is mowing the lawn. And they're not saying anything and they're not about and they're not crying. Wait, Craig Kilborn is on very late at night. Very late at night. That's right. So he's mowing the lawn in the middle of the night. No, no, no. It's different things. It's different scenes. They're not happening at the same time. I see. I see. <laughs> Yeah, that might actually have been... I think that might have tipped their hand too much if he was <laughs> mowing the lawn uh, at 1 a.m. But, uh, and so... So, now, the thing is, like, the characters aren't... They're not crying as they're doing this. They don't even look like they're about to cry. They just... They're kind of... And I wouldn't even say that they're, like, Bill Murray and Broken Flowers emotionless, you know? They're just sitting and watching, and the camera just lingers on them for a while. And I thought that was really powerful 
before my dad passed away, I watch it now and I freaking I, I that film I think might actually be the best depiction of grief I've ever seen mm-hmm. because it understands just little things like like watching a comedy program how the hell could you ever feel like laughing yeah it, as strange as that sounds and just like and a con- and the, the idea of the dad is mowing the the yard it's little it's the realizations like if the if the son was alive he'd be doing that right you know it's it's stuff like that and then like and then the really one of the only times that the dad played brilliantly by Tom Wilkinson when he breaks down is when he goes into his son's room and is just filled and it's filled with his stuff. Mm-hmm. And that I, that to me is, is the most depressing part of grief and damn it. And there is, is seeing something that the person has, has no use for now mm-hmm. because they are not alive. And to me, when I got home for the funeral, the thing I locked on was shoes. Uh. I saw my dad's shoes, and I don't know what it was about sh- shoes and keys. Those were the two things. And I just, I could not, I couldn't deal with it because it's just like, this is, and, and so when you see, when you see the father <clears throat> go into his son's room and just see all these things that his son took so much interest in and put so much time into like books of like, uh, like architecture because that's what his son wanted to do, I believe. Um, and just the realization that like he put so much time into getting his, you know, getting a degree in architecture or whatever. And now for nothing. And that, but these books are still here. You know, my dad, like he, he had all these, you know, all these books of like baseball stuff that to me is an, is another thing. The idea of like somebody having a hobby right, and spending so much time on it. And of course you're not into baseball. You've got no use for them. <laughs> I wear my dad's baseball hat and that's, and I, <laughs> and I will occasionally go to angels games, but that's it. Well, see, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing with my dad's shoes is he, it was two sizes too big for me. <laughs> I, I was, that's what I was thinking. I was just thinking, ah, oh, that's a shame. I'll never get to wear those loafers. <laughs> Well, you're wearing loafers of your own here, yeah. David. Slip-ons, whatever. Sure. Would you call those loafers? Uh, I don't know. I guess they're loafers. I don't yeah. Know. They don't they don't have laces. You're certainly loafing around <laughs> in this this episode. Um and so so that's the thing is is I loved in the bedroom before my dad passed away and then when I saw it I was like so did this director lose somebody? They he must have uh-huh. because this is so correct. Either he is the most intuitive person I've ever seen, right. or he's lost somebody and is putting that on screen. And so it, it helped me to appreciate it in a much deeper way. Um, and then I'll, uh, I'll throw in... I'll, maybe I'll get the sad stuff out of the way before I move on to the okay stuff. Well, let's, let's hurry it up here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We're almost okay. at the end here. Um, so as I... Uh, as I mentioned to you when we were first discussing this this topic, um, the film Venus, right, starring Peter O'Toole, it's a really great film, and he's really wonderful in it. Um, should have won Best Actor because, of course, Forrest Whitaker was playing a supporting role, uh, but won Best Actor anyway. It, it, that's that's neither here nor there. And so, um, 
So there. So do you, remember, at, do you ever wish that you could just run the Oscars? Oh yeah, I know. You wish you could run the Oscars the way I wish I could run movie theaters. Well, and, I wish I could run movie. I kind of wish I could run Hollywood <laughs> distribution. Do you remember the whole thing? our discussion about movie theaters? What they would be like? We ran them. That's not available anymore because that's like the second episode or something. That is a, that clip is available on our MySpace page. Okay, so right. that people can go listen to it. That's right. So, so that's, go, go that's ahead. from the very first episode that we ever recorded and never put up. So um, uh, go ahead with Venus. So the uh, so in Venus, um, Peter O'Toole, his character is getting older, and that's kind of an issue. And there's a part where I believe he uh, like takes a very nasty fall. I will not give you the details. I don't want to spoil it. Um, and he, it's really has, it's taken its toll on his health. And so there's a scene where this young girl that he is involved with. Um, he is sitting uh, on the toilet. He's not going to the bathroom. He's just sitting there fully clothed, and you, he just looks so frail. And she comes in, and he lifts his hand, and it's kind of shaky, like lifting his hand so that she will, like, grab it and uh, because he kind of wants to feel that connection. Now, I would have... Normally, I think I'd be like, ugh, that's over the top. But literally, my my grandfather passed away uh, in 2006 uh, of Alzheimer's. And uh, as it happens, his funeral was on my birthday. (laughs) That's neither here nor there. And so, um, (laughs) so, uh, but I remember when uh, when things were getting kind of bad, my uncle and I went to go visit him in uh, the nursing home that he was staying at. And I remember we were... he was uh, in a larger, we were in a larger room, kind of a common room, and I was giving my uncle and him, I was giving them space to talk, and I was kind of sitting across the room, and I saw that my grandpa, who was not a crier, I saw him start to cry, and he was like holding my, he was like holding my uncle, like touching him on the shoulder, and then he looked over at me, and he reached out his hand, and it was shaky, and I reached over, and I held it, and that's what he wanted. And it liter- And when I saw that scene in Venus, I was like, oh, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is I can't watch this right now. And so, you know, I used to work. At, I'm sorry. Do you want to no, that's fine. Go ahead. Because I know that you used to work at uh, a nursing home. I used to work at a nursing home. And it was a nursing home that uh, in the area, in that part of in St. Louis, it was sort of known for its Alzheimer's care. It had a whole mm-hmm. ward that was like the sort of the Alzheimer's ward. It was very good and uh, <clears throat> very good at that. But um uh, there's a movie. Um, oh shit! What's the movie that Sarah Polly directed? Away from her. Away from her. That I I didn't like. Yeah. Um, a lot of people loved it. I did. I didn't like it, and I, a big part of why I didn't like it. Not the only part. Uh, it's a little too precious in general. Mm-hmm. But a big part of why I didn't like it is that it's it's a view of of Alzheimer's and what it actually does to a person is way too too safe and yeah and I mean it's it's hard. Emotionally, on on the what's the guy's name? Gordon, the actor. Who, Gordon Pinsett. Yeah, he, and he's great in yeah. that movie. Um, it's it's hard emotionally on him as as it would be, but it's not anywhere near as rough as al- Alzheimer's really can be. Yeah, it's it, getting Alzheimer's is probably my number one fear in, in life. That, it's pretty uh, devastating. I I would uh, I you know I hate to be one of those people who's like oh I hope I die before. Um, so old that I can't do anything or so. No, that doesn't bother me. But if the choice is death or Alzheimer's, I I would actually probably take death because uh, I, it's 
It's horrible. I probably would as well because it's just it's because my grandpa was very he was a very sharp guy. And to see what his mind became and to see like the physical ramifications, it was just it was absolutely heartbreaking. Uh And and that's the thing is the my experience with that. Gut wrenching, though, it was actually helped me to appreciate a scene in a film that I'm positive if I had seen it a year before. I would have been like, that's over the top, Uh but it happened. It happened to me. That exact thing, reach an old, an older person kind of on death's, at death's door, really, uh-huh. reaching out their hand, and it's shaking, and they want a connection. And, and so I feel like, and so to segue into another thing, and we'll, we'll uh, wrap up uh, shortly after this, um, my, the, my grief experiences, and I'm sure that you're kind of in a similar boat, uh, I'm sure anybody who's lost somebody... Uh, is in a similar boat. Um, as I've said before, there are certain... I, I, I am almost obsessively concerned with Jen's welfare and her health, and she was actually in a car accident right. uh, a while ago, and it terrified me and stuff, but she, she was fine. Um, but that concern is almost paralyzing, and that is perhaps one of the reasons why I love the movie Finding Nemo so much, yeah. is because it's about a father who has lost his wife and I guess all his other children. There are going to be a lot of them. Yeah. And so he only has, he has one child left Nemo and he will do, he will stop at nothing to protect his son. Now that's noble up until he starts to limit his son's freedoms and it starts to take over Uh and, and it becomes less about love than it does about control. Uh He does not want to lose the one thing he has. And, and I have so, but that's the thing is if you hold on to that thing too tight, then it's no longer even the thing that you want. It's just right. this, it beca- it ceases to be a person. Right. It's just this thing. And, and so, so I, I feel that way a lot, like with, with Jen's safety and, and finding Nemo had such resonance with me <laughs> that I was just like, Oh geez. Maybe I should stop being like this. I don't want to be like him, right. you know, because I'm sure that one day when we have children, I'll be the same way with them as I am with her. And it's just, and I can't, I can't do that because then it ceases to be me caring about my wife and it, she might as well be like a valuable... Ca- caring about who? Caring about my wife. Your wife? Yeah. My wife? My, <laughs> ever since Goebel did it, you do it all the time where when I say my wife, <laughs> I don't say my wife... <laughs> I say my wife. It's the way people say the words "my wife." But the thing is, you're almost the only person I know, who, like my, that I'm friends with, who has a wife. So I hear the, the term "my wife" so rarely <laughs> <laughs> that I think of Borat first. All right, I'm only going to refer to her as Jen. Okay. I'm not giving you any any food, any fodder. Um, but uh, and so finding Nemo. Uh, spoke to me because I knew exactly what uh, what Marlon was going through, and more so than perhaps uh, somebody who has not lost anybody. Um, and uh, and so perhaps now we'll segue into something a little happier, which is the idea of love. Okay. Um, because uh, I hated, and I'd say still hate, romantic comedies, like the you know in I mean, general. In general. 
Um, but it used to be that I hated them all. They were all so cheesy. Characters said such ridiculous, cheesy, over-the-top things that it's like, I, I don't believe this. Mm-hmm. You know who wrote this? It, you know who says this? Screenwriters. And they mm-hmm. don't say it in life. They say it when they've got a character to say it through. Um, and then, oh, David, then I fell in love. <laughs> and I found myself not only wanting, like, like because some, some could make the argument that the reason that in life, when you say these cheesy things, you say them because movies have put them in your head to say. Um, but, man, you, re- you have the realizations like, man, those movies got it right. That is exactly what I, I found myself accidentally saying things that, I, that are in movies. Uh-huh. Most notably, I would say. Um, you make me want to be a better man. Yeah, kinda. <laughs> um, but also uh, from when Harry met Sally, which is when he says, "When you realize that you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible." That's a cheesy ass line. Oh, that's a great. Line. It's a great line, <laughs> but just I when I when I first saw it, I'm like, "Bah, I'm gonna throw up." And that, but man, like the minute I realized that I wanted to marry Jen, it's like, "I, I want to get married tomorrow." It's like, well, that probably can't happen. But uh, <laughs> but that urgency, there, there's a, an urgency to love that that uh, romantic comedies will often put out there, and I did I did not understand until the day I understood, and uh, and so it it it, it was it was nice because it kind of opened up an entire genre for me. <laughs> um, granted, there's still some that are horrendous, but uh, I'd say oh, most most yeah, but. Um, but there are some where it's just like uh, there's no way I would have liked love actually before I fell in love, and now I really enjoy it. Sorry, everybody. I know <laughs> that uh, what's her name, uh, Amelie Gillette from uh, from, uh, from the, the Hater. Uh, yeah, uh, she hates that film so much. Really? You know, my theory is she hasn't been in love. <laughs> That's I a joke. Of course. I, I think I've always been a, a romantic, but you I always I mean, have been. Yeah, I, I, I do I do get the same thing, but I always kind of. And I and I didn't really believe in that, but I always kind of wanted it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you know that that was it when I was younger and saw when Harry met Sally. I was like, "Well, that's ridiculous." But man, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> so yeah, I'm a, I'm a that big... can't actually happen. But it would be nice if it, if it could. Yeah. yeah, for all the I'll say this for all the cold hearted cynicism that you that you embody, I, I bring a lot of that to the table. You really do. But man, you I've I've never met somebody who has uh who is at times more idealistic and more romantic than you. Oh, but, thank you. Uh, yeah, that's I take uh, that as a compliment. Okay. Um <laughs> that's how you want to take that. That's All right, fine. well on that note. Yeah, uh I think that's we've had a good uh, this has been a good episode. We've laughed, we've cried, we've sneezed. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I didn't actually cry. I started I welled up a bit. Well, my eyes are watering like crazy, but that's Okay, there we go. All right. We'll we'll, <laughs> we'll make that play. Um so yeah, uh and I feel like we could just continue talking uh, about this, but kind of to sum up. Y- this y- episode's kind of a, a lecture to that one person. Yeah, pretty it's much. It's like, you you can't help but bring yourself to a movie. Yeah. Philosophically, <coughs> as far as your experience <coughs> goes. And, and, to, and to everybody else who feels like... That it feels like they're perhaps doing something wrong because certain film students say, "Oh no, man, you got to try and be objective." And objectivity is, of course, it's a good thing. But if your own experiences or your own philosophy, if they help you to see a film 
in a different way, whether it be better or worse, if you actually realize, oh, this film is not very good. I know this because of my personal experience. Um, then that's all right. Then that's a that's a tool that you have, really, you know. And so, I mean, there are film students out there who, because perhaps, for example, let's say they haven't been in love or they've never lost uh, somebody close to them, uh, who are less equipped to talk about movies about that subject than somebody who uh, who doesn't have the film education, but they have experienced that in life. And so, and that's kind of a, a weird, <laughs> a weird thing to say, uh-huh. but um, but I I think it's it's true. I um, agree. And so, so yeah, it's it's subjectivity. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to avoid. Just mix it with what you know about film, what you can appreciate about film. Try and mix it with objectivity, and just yeah. use it to help your appreciation for the film. Grow, I guess. Yeah, subjectivity is not bad. Objectivity is not bad either. Right, it's not uh, one absolutely. of the absolutely. Yeah, maybe next week we'll talk about objectivity. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and also just want to let want to let everybody know that. Uh, ah, all right, this is really shameless, everyone. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, so the podcast award nomination, uh, the podcast awards are currently accepting nominations. Um. Now, the podcast awards don't necessarily mean much, as yeah. far as uh, what I've what I've read. Like there have been like online critiques of of them uh-huh. because they are essentially people's choice awards. But if you win one, it's something you can always say. And <laughs> so, uh, so here's what you do: you go to podcastawards.com, or you can go to battleshippretension.com. There's a link. Um, and there's a form that you fill out. It will require your your email address, um, but uh, they won't send you anything. I, I nominated us several times because I have a lot of email addresses, uh, and I've and I've and I've yet to uh, I've yet to. Oh, hey, David, I used your email addresses as well. Um, but uh, yeah. right, I was going to say which ones, but I don't want my email uh, right, addresses. Yeah, yeah. And so. Um, so yeah, uh, and I haven't gotten any emails from them, so I don't think they actually they don't put you on a list or anything. So, um, so yeah, go and uh, and nominate us in the movie category if you also wanted. Uh, I think you can you can only nominate one podcast per category, but then there's also like best produced and like audience choice, and you can nominate us for one of those as well uh, on top of the movie podcast. So. Go and nominate us, uh, and then if we wind up getting nominated, uh, like making the short list of nominations, uh, we'll let you know, and then you can go vote for us. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, sorry, I know that's really shameless, but it would help us out. Uh, what would also help us out is, of course, donations. That would also help. That would help a lot. Um, and then, uh, and we haven't mentioned this in a while, but uh, feel free to head on over to iTunes and write us a nice review. Yeah, that always helps. That's that's always good uh, as far as uh, the iTunes staff yeah, let's goes. Let's just uh, say all the ways you can help us. Okay. You could buy something from Battlefield Pretension Store. Yeah. You could write us a review on iTunes. Yeah. If you're not subscribed, you could subscribe. Absolutely. That would help us a lot. It would. You could nominate us for a podcast award. Yeah. All right, speaking of shameless, you can follow me on Twitter. That's right. And you better, because I'm awesome on Twitter. 400 followers, David. I know. I, I, my goal was 500. I know. You're getting there. Yeah, well... 
TwitterCounter.com predicts that I'll be, uh, at the rate that I'm growing, I'll be closer to 1,000 before too long. Uh-oh. But I don't know if that's true. Watch out, everybody. Uh, I, so, uh, but help, I would like that to be true. Help me make it true. I want more followers because I am so awesome at Twitter. He is, it's, I, I, I'll say this You know, it's sort of like, you know, when, uh, like Russell Crowe's character in A Beautiful Mind, he was born to do math. Yeah. To, Whatever sort of math he did. Yeah. Saying do math is kind of like saying do sports, <laughs> or I think. Or do science. <laughs> yeah, he's born to do science. I was born to Twitter. Yeah. I'm so good at it. Oh. Oh. I read I read back my tweets and I'm like, I'm good at this. Were you planning on saying this when you predicted how shameless this was going to be? Yes. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is all kind of a... All right. This so, is all kind of a put on. I would like you to follow me on Twitter. Well, I will I think, say... I think I'm entertaining, but I'm not... I will say that the, the BP Twitter, it's all David. And uh, all and, I do, and I say this uh, not, uh, you know, because I, I don't really feel like I'm uh, a part of it, which is fine. Uh, and so I can say objectively, uh, David, you're very good at Twitter. Well, I'm not. You. I also have a Twitter, and I don't use it to no, be clever. You, you, oh, you've made some jokes. Have I? Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, you made a good one, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. And well, there you go. So, um, <laughs> but, so um, yeah, I, I'm, I tend to be a bit more avuncular than David, and uh, 140 <laughs> characters cannot contain me. Well, <laughs> I am uh, at twitter.com slash the pretension. Yeah. At the pretension. And Tyler is at, at more lessons. Right. Um, and then, of course, you can always email us, Tyler at battleshippretension.com, David at battleshippretension.com. And, uh, yeah, so those are all the ways you can help us. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll even if you only do three of those, yeah, (laughs) pick three and go with it. I hope one of the three is donation. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, so thanks, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye, bye.